It has been 13 long, hard years since God promised to exalt Joseph. He has spent 10 years as a slave in Potiphar's house. He has now spent three years in total in prison. And his condition and state in Genesis 41 is to remain in prison, seemingly hopeless of release. But then suddenly, the prison door springs open. A man comes in and says, the Hebrew slave, we need the Hebrew slave to come and interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And Joseph says, that's me. I'm the Hebrew slave. And so the man says, get up, run, shave, put on these new clothes, go and interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh comes into the presence. Joseph comes into the presence of Pharaoh. And he says, this is the interpretation of your two dreams. The interpretation is one. There will be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of a grievous famine. As Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, it marks now the transition of his state of humiliation to the state of exaltation. This exaltation is recorded in verses 37 to 45. I want to study Joseph's exaltation under two simple headings. One, Joseph's reward in verses 37 to 39. And then Joseph's exaltation in verses 40 to 45. First of all then, Joseph's reward. Joseph will be exalted in the context of commendation and choice. The commendation comes in verse 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. The thing here is the plan to preserve the people during the time of famine. This plan is given by Joseph in verses 33 to 36. To preserve the people from death during a terrible famine, Joseph says you need to find someone who's wise and insightful, set him in charge, give him the authority over the officers of the entire land, and during the seven years of plenty, to charge all the farmers an extra 20% tax of all their produce. Take the produce, store it and keep it in the key cities. So by the time of the famine, there will be food to save the people. This is not an easy plan, is it not? Think about someone today. Imagine the White House says to all the farmers of the United States of America, on top of what you're already given, an extra 20% of all your produce is to be taxed, stored and kept. It would be a difficult plan. 
but it is a wise plan. And it is a plan that will save the people from starvation and death. And how does Pharaoh and the servants respond to this plan? The thing was good in their sight. The word here, good, means specifically well-pleasing. Something you approve of that's not only good, but is pleasant to you. And so Pharaoh and all these servants say, what you say, Joseph, is well-pleasing to us. But secondly, we have a choice. Pharaoh here himself shows wisdom. The only one who is able to carry out such a plan must have the inspiration of God. Verse 38. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. To form and execute and govern this plan, we need someone who has wisdom from above. And the only way such a man can have such is if they have the Spirit of God. It is interesting that this is the first time this phrase has been used since Genesis 1-2. Where the Spirit of God hovered the earth like a bird hovering, creating the earth. And so whether Pharaoh intends the Spirit of the God of the Hebrews or a generic the Spirit of God... Whatever his intention, we have a Caiaphas here, speaking the truth of God. Because the only right way to have such insight, discernment, skill and wisdom to rule and govern is someone who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Pharaoh has a better biblical theology of government than most Christians in our age. Most Christians in our age are pragmatic. So long there's someone who's conservative and we agree with their general policies, we'll vote them into office. Why? They're unregenerate. They can only displease God. Their thoughts, their imaginations, their intentions is in total depravity of sin. And we expect Jesus Christ to bless enemies and rebels who have good policies. And we wonder why conservatives are equally with liberals Supporting immorality and sin. Unbelieving conservatives in this nation support abortion. They just disagree at what limit. They promote and agree with the liberty of same-sex marriage. Since same-sex marriage was introduced through the Supreme Court, how many Conservatives are fighting tooth and nail to get that removed and stopped. None. (laughs) Why? Because they don't see a problem with it. If we think we can vote in, elect, support unregenerate men... Do not be surprised when God judges the nation because their heart's desires is enmity with God. How can they kiss the son? How can they be nursing fathers to the church? 
How can they uphold the first and second table of the law? How can they execute biblically founded righteous laws? They can't and will not and they'll hate these things. And therefore, Pharaoh is wiser than most Christians. Let us know the Old Testament pattern of a godly king. Someone who fears God. Someone who serves God. Someone who knows the law, Deuteronomy 18, and then applies the law. Someone who keeps the Sabbath and protects the Sabbath. Someone who will serve the one true God and promote the only one true religion. The kings who will take down the Ashtaroth and the idols and the false religions and countenance and support the church of Jesus Christ. That's the governor God wants. That's the governor God commands. That's the kind of politician Christians should only ever support but who will be such a governor who does have such wisdom and insight who does have the spirit of God Pharaoh looks around there's only one man for the job that's you Joseph that's you verse 39 and Pharaoh said unto Joseph for as much as God hath showed thee all this there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Joseph, you clearly manifest divine influence. You're clearly under the power of the Spirit of God. And your wisdom and your plan is good. And therefore, I will exalt you. But note, this commendation and choice is ultimately divine and not Pharaoh's. Acts 7 verse 10. Stephen is preaching the gospel through the Old Testament narrative. And he's describing what's happening in Joseph's life. And he says... God delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favour and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. God is the source of everything in this scene. Who gave Joseph the afflictions? God. For his good, for his growth, for his maturity. For his preparation. And God has given him the spirit. To give him wisdom and prudence and insight. And given him the plan. To preserve Egypt. And ultimately the covenant household. Everything that's happening here. The commendation. The choice of Pharaoh and the sermons. It is God and his sovereignty saying I am pleased with Joseph. For 13 years he's been afflicted. And he's responded with faith and obedience and service and insight and wise oversight. And his plan has come to preserve Egypt and preserve my people. I am pleased, Joseph. And therefore God exalts Joseph to governor, delivering him out of all his afflictions. The same is true of our Saviour and his people. The Lord God is the man of eminence when it comes to the Holy Spirit. When he was in the the womb of the Virgin Mary, or say just before, uh, the Holy Spirit overshadows the womb of the Virgin Mary and not only creates the humanity of Jesus, but fills the humanity with all the divine graces. 
Isaiah 11 verse 2. When the Messiah comes, he has a sevenfold spiritual power and grace. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And as our Lord lives out his life, as the Lord serves the Lord God, as the Lord preaches and teaches People are aware there's something heavenly and divine about this one. Matthew 13, 54. And they were astonished, the crowd. Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? The Spirit of God is upon Christ. And therefore his teaching is filled with wisdom, teaching with authority, teaching with insight and not as the scribes. And he comes and he casts out devils and gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and speech to the dumb. Because the spirit of the Lord is with him and his mighty works. And in everything the Lord Jesus Christ would do, he did it to please God. John 8, verse 28. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am. And I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, for I do always those things that please him. That please him is the same word as the good In verse 37. The Lord Jesus Christ did everything to please God in obeying him. And because this is the case, he exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that little word in Philippians 2. Wherefore. Wherefore he hath highly exalted him. Why? Read the rest of the chapter. Because he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore he hath highly exalted him. Though there was afflictions and sufferings before him, Jesus' motive was always to please his Father in heaven and therefore obeyed even unto death, wherefore he hath highly exalted him. Just as God is pleased with Joseph and therefore exalts him, God is pleased with Christ and therefore exalts him. And it's the same for you and me. The mark of a Christian is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and have the wisdom of God. Philippians chapter 117. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ gave unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So God gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us wisdom and knowledge, insight and understanding on how to please and serve him. How does the Christian respond to this? 1 John 3.22 We keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And again, that word pleasing in the Greek is the same word of the Greek translation of verse 37. The Christian has a motive to please God in everything. Whether we're a slave in Potiphar's house, whether we're in prison, whether we're in darkness with no light, our motive is to please him and everything and keep his commandments. And God exalts the Christian Because God is pleased with the Christian. 
Is that not the parable of the talents? God says, here's talents. One person does not do anything with the talents. There's no labor. There's no service. There's no obedience. And the master comes and says, what? Thou wicked and slothful servant and cast into hell. But the two other servants, they seek to please their master. And when the master comes, enter, the, enter into the joy of thy Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Why was Enoch translated? Hebrews 11, chapter 5. It says, by faith Enoch was translated. Why? Because he had this testimony. He pleased God. He pleased God. And so God exalts his people because he's pleased with them. And he's pleased with them because we seek to please him. And this should motivate us. That if we by faith in Jesus Christ, depending on the Holy Spirit, seek to please our God by living out the Bible in all areas of life, even though it's tainted with sin, that sin is cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ and God in the Saviour is pleased with our service, pleased with our obedience, pleased with our good works. And on the day of judgment, we'll say to you, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the eternal joy of your Lord Jesus Christ. God is pleased with Joseph. God is pleased with Christ. And if you serve him, God is pleased with you. Secondly now, Joseph's exaltation. After the commendation and choice, Pharaoh will now exalt Joseph in verses 40 to 45. If you read this section, and more importantly, contemplate and meditate on this section, your mind will discover a plethora of examples and parallels of the Lord Jesus Christ's own exaltation. And it is my method for the remaining uh, part of this sermon is to look at Joseph's exaltation so that we can go to the fullness of the New Testament revelation and discover the glory of the greater Joseph's exaltation. And we see this under five headings. The rule, the authority, the dominion, the nature, the work. First of all then, the rule. The specific aspect of exaltation is that Pharaoh will make the Hebrew slave Joseph to be the ruler over all Egypt. In verse 40, thou shalt be over my house. Verse 41 I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Joseph goes from being a low, humble Hebrew slave to the ruler of Egypt. But in a particular way, second in command on the right hand of Pharaoh. Verse 40. Only in the throne 
will I be greater than thou? And verse 43, he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. So Pharaoh is the highest and the highest possible place beside Pharaoh will be Joseph. Call it the prime minister or call it the governor or the vizier, whatever you want to term it. He is second in command to rule as Pharaoh's agent and representation over all the land of Egypt. And this reveals the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ and his exaltation. Psalm 110 verse 1 prophesies of the mediatorial rule. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. So the agent and representation of God ruling and reigning. And this is quoted tons of time in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews. Hebrews 1.13, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then 1 Corinthians 15.27 gives us the precise aspect of this. For he, God, hath put all things under his feet, the son's feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he, God, is accepted, which did put all things under him. So as God, the Son is equal with the Father in spirit, in power and glory. But as the God-man mediator, his exaltation is to the right hand of God. To be the agent and representative of God's rule over the world. This is what we call not his essential rule, that's his divine nature, but his mediatorial rule as the God-man. This means Jesus Christ, who became a slave, born in a poor home, who was labelled a Beelzebub, a drunkard, a Sabbath breaker, despised and rejected of men, whose instrument of death was the most cursed instrument possible. He is raised and exalted to the highest place possible, the right hand of God, so that his glory and magnificence is over and above all things. This is the mediatorial rule of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father. But secondly, Pharaoh gives Joseph royal authority. This is seen first of all in the garments and clothing in verse 42. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand, arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. The ring here is a signet ring. It's a ring with a special symbol that a king would stamp a document or show to someone to represent the full authority of the king himself. So, for example, it's used in Esther chapter 3, verse 12, when Ahasuerus is to make a decree. How do we know it has the royal authority? It says, in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's 
signet ring. And so by taking off the signet ring and put it on the hand of Joseph, it was to represent you have the royal power to govern my people. And it is interesting that this exact language is used in prophecy of the Messiah to come. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 23. God is speaking to the prophet to say the kingdom of God is coming. The Messiah's coming. And Zerubbabel the governor is a picture, a type of the Messiah to govern on my behalf. And Haggai 2.23 says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will overthrow the nations of the heathens. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and will make thee as a signet ring, for I have chosen thee. And so Zerubbabel, of course, did not overthrow the kingdoms of the world. Uh, Zerubbabel himself did not take away the power of the nations of the world. It was the antitype, the fulfillment. And so Jesus Christ receives of God in his exaltation, God's signet ring. All power and authority is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. To rule, not with the power of an earthly king, but the king of kings himself. And then it says, vestures of fine linen. This is a garment or a special royal robe made with particular Egyptian materials. And it's to signify that this one has a particular majesty in his rule. And again, the Old Testament prophesies of Jesus Christ's exaltation in the language of garments. Psalm 45 verse 8, speaking of Christ being exalted All thy garments smell of myrrh, aloes, and cassia, whereby they make thee glad. So, there's a special garment given to Christ in his exaltation. And this garment is not described in materials, but fragrances of myrrh, aloes, and cassia. And it simply means the robe of Christ's rule is alluring and attractive to others. It's like Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 3. Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Because Christ's rule was attractive. Because he's a king to rule to save sinners. He is a king who preaches the gospel through ministers. And that gospel is attractive and alluring to all peoples. As our saviour says, when I am lifted up, when I am raised, when I am exalted, when I am ruling, all people shall be drawn to me. Attracted by his goodness, attracted by his grace, allured by his mercy, as sinners seek salvation in the greater Joseph. But then we have here a gold chain placed around Joseph's neck. There is a famous painting on an Egyptian tomb of a man called Tutu. And this painting represents Tutu, who's actually a, someone of Semitic origin. And Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh um, Ach- Achenetab, Achenetin, 
He takes a golden chain off himself, puts it on Tutu. Tutu leaves the palace. He rides on a chariot and the peoples bow down to Tutu. And Tutu was actually raised and advanced to be the highest mouth in the whole country. Which means he was to be a royal prince over everyone except for Pharaoh. And so by placing a golden chain around Joseph, Pharaoh was saying, he is a prince. He's over all my people. Now go out in the second chariot and all the people bow down. And when our Lord Jesus Christ was exalted, he was also coronated a prince. Acts chapter 5 verse 31. God exalted him with his right hand to be a prince. When the Lord Jesus Christ was exalted, he was also coronated. So that he would sit at the right hand of God as a prince to rule and reign over all things. Thirdly, the dominion. Joseph is actually given two spheres of dominion, not one. Note the distinction between over my house, verse 40, and over all the land of Egypt, verse 41. The same distinction is made in Genesis 45, verse 8. God made me Lord of all his house and ruler over Egypt. And when you read Acts 7, again, it has the distinction over the house, over Egypt. The house is the royal palace with Pharaoh's family and friends and servants versus the dominion of all the land of Egypt. And in the New Testament, it makes the same distinction. In Christ's exaltation, he is both ruler over his own house, the church, and ruler over all things. Let's look at, first of all, the ruler over his church. As Joseph is set over the house, so is the greater Joseph. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we. Jesus Christ rules the church. He is the one with the absolute authority of God ruling and reigning his church. And our short Catechism 26 briefly summarizes how he executes this authority. Christ executed the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So with authority over the church, he takes sinners who are elect and who rebel and are enmity against him through the gospel, he humbles them and subdues them to believe in him for salvation. He rules them with the word of God. This is right. This is wrong. This is how you are to live. We have many enemies. The flesh, the devil, the world. And we're not defenseless. Because we have him who is omnipotent with all authority, who rules heaven and earth, and he executes that power for the defense of 
his church. But this is not a relationship of a subjugated people and an absolute king. This is a relationship of love. Because in Joseph's exaltation, he is also given a wife. One of the prominent families of Egypt, of one of their daughters, Asenath, is given to Joseph. Now, there's a bit of a debate about this. Is Joseph doing wrong here? Because he's marrying outside of the covenant home. Some speculate very much like Psalm 45, where there's a foreign woman who leaves her father spiritually to serve the true king. And therefore, Joseph here is going to one who have the fear of the Lord God of the Hebrews. And others say, no, that's too much. And therefore, there's a special dispensation here for unique times. But the fact is this. He is given a wife. And in the Lord's exaltation, the reward of his suffering, Psalm 2, is that he is given his people. He is given his bride. And it is his work to go out and claim that bride by saving out of every kindred, tribe, tongue and nation. And our Lord Jesus Christ rules the church, not with an iron fist, most certainly with absolute authority, but with cords of love. Because he sheds abroad the word of God into your hearts by the Spirit. He does not simply say, obey my commandments, but he gives you love in your heart, so out of love you obey his commandments. You don't simply worship him because you're commanded to, though you are, but with a love in your hearts, you come and adore his glory. But the second sphere of dominion here is in all of Egypt. All of Egypt. And this is because Christ is not only the ruler of the church, he's the ruler of all things. 1 Peter 3.22 Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels, authorities, powers being made subject unto him. Everything is under Christ. Just as it said of Joseph in 44, people can't even raise their hand or move their foot without the authority of Joseph. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He controls everything. He is over everything. He is the ruler over everything. When you drove your car to church this morning, it was under his authority. The government, the White House, the federal, local, state government, all under the authority of Christ. The media. The powers that be, angels, devils, enemies, friends, atoms, molecules, electrons, all things and everything are under the direct rule of the Lord Jesus Christ and his mediatorial reign. And he rules it all for his church. Ephesians 1. God has put all things under his feet for his church. Black holes, galaxies far away, suns and moons and stars throughout this universe, all for the church. This entire planet and everything that's happening in history, all the wars, all the business, all the money, all the riches, everything in this world is governed by Christ for his church. Have faith, brother and sister. Do you believe this, brother and sister? I'm not asking do you assent to it because you have to, because it's in the Bible. I'm asking do you believe it? It will give you the greatest comfort to believe it. But then fourthly, we have the nature of his rule. Verse 40. 
According to thy word shall all my people be ruled. The word word and ruled is not in the Hebrew. The Hebrew is this. According to the kisses of your mouth, my people. According to the kisses of your mouth, my people. It's the same Hebrew phrase as the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love is better than wine. It means, let the words of Joseph go out and let everyone receive the words with love and submission. And that's how our Lord Jesus Christ rules. His words go out. His doctrines go out. His teachings go out. And the response is to be love of affection and the kissing of the son in submission. And that's how he rules. He is a king who could, if he wanted, bend your will and subjugate you. But he says, you are my bride. (laughs) And a good husband does not subjugate his bride. He brings words of comfort and words of truth and words of correction and words of instruction. So the wife recognizes them and filled with love, cheerfully obeys and submits. And that's how we respond to the preaching of the gospel. Where fifthly and finally in verse 45 it says he went out. Joseph got on his chariot. He rode his chariot and went out of all the land of Egypt governing. And so does Christ. Psalm 45 says in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth meekness and righteousness thine arrows are sharp in the hearts of the enemies so christ rides on his chariot he goes through all the earth his riding is prosperous as from his chariot arrows come to his enemies and there's two animal arrows the gospel arrow and the judgment arrow and that's what he's been doing for two thousand years And Pentecost was the beginning of him riding in his gospel arrow. Through the preaching of Peter, 3,000 souls are converted. And he goes throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He goes throughout the Roman Empire. Then he goes throughout Europe and Africa. And then the missionary expansion of the world. To the gospel and all the nations of the earth. How did that happen? Because the greater Joseph went out on his chariot. And his arrows are gospel arrows to save souls. But there's also judgment. Anyone who disobeyed Joseph. Disobeys the authority of Pharaoh himself. And will require the judgment thereof. And in Revelation chapter 19 Christ comes again riding and he rides in judgment as he takes rebellious nations and sinners and he squashes them like grapes and they're all under the winepress of his wrath and will be judged in hell forever. And so to everyone here today, what arrow is upon you? The Lord Jesus Christ is riding forth today in the preaching of the word. And it's either going to be an arrow of the gospel or an arrow of judgment. If it's an arrow of gospel, lovingly submit and confess he is Lord. As Joseph has a new name, the Lord has a new name because when he is highly exalted, he's given a name of which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord 
And for the sake of your immortal soul, bow down and kiss the Son and confess Jesus is Lord. Or resist. Say no. I will not have him Lord over me. And the famine's coming. The judgment's coming. And Christ will put you under his feet in hell. And you'll be under the winepress of God's wrath forever. It's your choice. Choose whom ye serve today. The Lord obey. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful through the type, the anti-type is revealed. We are thankful that thou art the God who delivered Joseph out of his afflictions and exalted him to be governor. We bless thee that Christ Jesus out of all his afflictions was delivered and exalted to be the governor of the universe. And we are thankful to know that out of our afflictions we shall be delivered and exalted to sit on the throne with the Lamb. O oh, we glorify thy Son as our King and as our Lord. May his rule be upon us all. Amen. Let us conclude by praising God in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verses 1 to 5. The tune is crediting, tune number 45. The Lord did say unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes a stool whereon thy feet may stand. Standing if we're able, let us praise our glorious ruler and king. <laughs>